Hey friends, this is Linda and you're listening to Calling Water. We're continuing our study of a few Old Testament prophets by examining a scripture passage, not only to learn what it means, but also to learn some things it might call us to do. In today's episode, What Have You Done?, we're looking at the story of the prophet Jonah and how shame played a part in the actions and reactions of both Jonah and the people of Nineveh. Let's get started. I don't know about you, but back when I was younger, I think my biggest motivator to do anything or not to do something was shame. That feeling of shame informed my decisions more powerfully than any conviction or values did at the time. Because each time I was put in a position to feel ashamed, I just knew I never wanted to repeat that experience. But looking back, I find that shame was not a consistently good teacher or maybe not a good teacher at all. Because while I'll admit some of it was useful, like it taught me to stay away from disingenuous people who sought cheap humor at my expense, or it taught me to make sure I was fully prepared when giving a presentation so I wouldn't fumble my words and look like an idiot. It was also the thing that kept me back from trying new things or persisting with a new thing. Shame, or the fear of being ashamed, told me to speak softly and keep my head down. Now, I know here in 2022, it's a weird emotion to contend with. These days, we're taking measured steps away from centuries of shame culture. We can finally applaud those who are painfully real and share stories that most of us would have been too afraid to disclose. We encourage and stand by victims of abuse as they hesitantly but boldly reveal what goes on behind the closed doors of the rich, the powerful, the privileged. Nowadays, in this kind of reverse polarity, those who were formerly ashamed are calling out the shamelessness of those who have oppressed them. So what is it? Is shame a good or bad emotion? To begin to answer this question, we can turn to today's text in the book of Jonah. Now, you might already kind of know the basic plot summary of his story. Jonah, who is a prophet, he's instructed by God to go deliver a message to his mortal enemy, the Ninevites. He refuses and boards a boat to Tarshish, the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. After incurring a violent storm, he convinces the sailors on board to throw him overboard to appease God's wrath. They refuse at first, but eventually they do as he says, and then the storm stops. Jonah is then swallowed by a giant fish where he remains for three days. He prays to God. The fish projectile vomits Jonah out onto shore. God says, okay, let's try this again. Go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah obeys and delivers the message. The Ninevites repent. God's anger against them subsides and Nineveh is spared. It's a fun story, right? Okay, so where does shame come into all of this? For starters, and in the case of the city of Nineveh, shamefulness causes them to repent. Now, anyone who heard this story in Bible times would have already known how evil the kingdom of Assyria was, and Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and they would feel that perhaps Jonah was justified in running away from this calling. I'm sure Jonah's impulse resonated with that of Nahum chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. 
It says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. That's pretty dark. But you know, Jonah and his people had every right to despise the Ninevites. The Assyrian Empire was, in fact, wicked. They committed unimaginable atrocities against the people of Israel. But that is not the subject of the story. In fact, throughout the book of Jonah, there is no specific mention of Nineveh's sins at all. Because despite what they had done, God was still ready to extend his grace and mercy. When Jonah finally arrives in Nineveh, he gives them this message in chapter 3, verse 4. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That was the message. But what's amazing is that these few words are just enough to cause the entire city to fall to their knees. Contrary to what Jonah might have thought they would do, the Ninevites didn't lash out against Jonah. They didn't get defensive. They didn't double down on their ways. They felt shame and they repented. In verses 7 through 9, the king issues an emergency PSA. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? Jonah does. Ironically, Jonah, who knew all about God's compassionate and forgiving nature, was less than thrilled that Nineveh was not destroyed. And he let it show. And this shamelessness blocked true repentance. Now, the prophets of the Old Testament primarily spoke to God's people about all the ways in which they had violated the covenant with God. It's not just that they had begun to worship other gods, which they did, but they had forgotten all about what it really means to love God and love other people. Despite their own disobedience, however, they were quick to judge and hoped for the day their oppressors would meet their sticky ends. So Jonah, as a representative of the people of Israel, had zero interest in Nineveh's redemption from the start. So Jonah boards a boat, as you know, goes below deck and takes a nap, completely comfortable with his decision to disobey God in this manner. So. He is so relaxed that he doesn't even know when the violent storm arises and it sends all the experienced sailors on board into panic mode. And imagine how horrified they were to find that someone on their boat was blatantly going against the God who created the sea in the first place. We see in chapter 1 verse 10, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. But God forgives Jonah's impetuousness. And after all of Nineveh's people and animals fast and repent before God, God forgives them too. 
he doesn't destroy Nineveh, which was the original message, right? And as a messenger of God, Jonah should have been thrilled that he got through to them. He got an entire city to repent. However, Jonah is livid. In Jonah chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh, now it all makes sense. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, not for fear of his life or anything like that, but he didn't want to deliver the message of their destruction to them because he knew God and he knew God would not do it. He wanted Nineveh destroyed, and as he said, he would rather die than see the city spared. In fact, isn't that what he tries to do by telling the sailors to throw him overboard? Yet God spares him, and still Jonah doesn't see what he did wrong. He felt no shame at hating the Ninevites this way and essentially dooming them all. At the end of the book, God employs an object lesson to point out to Jonah the absurdity of his anger. God creates a plant to rise up and provide him with shade, but then also allows a worm to eat it up. Jonah responds to this with the same kind of intense anger. And the book ends with God asking Jonah, if it's right for him to be angry about the plant being destroyed, a plant he did not create or tend to, and more so, if it's right for him to be angry that God did not destroy an entire people. Did any of the story resonate with you in any way? You see, Jonah is a caricature of all of us who happily receive God's grace, but begrudge it toward others. And it's strange how those of us who know of and have experienced this grace are among the least willing to share it. Like the way Jonah represented the people of Israel who were unwilling to extend the message of grace to their enemies, how often are we today representing a similar community with a similar mindset? In what ways have we alienated people who are not like us and hoped that they would receive their just desserts, all the while knowing that we ourselves have been forgiven and spared? Today marks 21 years since the 9-11 terrorist attacks. It was without a question a frightening tragedy, and the entire world watched to see how America, this big superpower, would respond. And without debating the politics of it all, I want to say that we, the people of the United States, failed famously. Because all we really managed to do was to incite more hatred and to justify our already extreme xenophobia. It became acceptable practice to profile people based on their appearance and religious affiliations. I mean, in the name of homeland security, of course. And Christians especially, who claimed to serve a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and who relents from sending calamity, joined the masses in sowing enmity against anyone who colored outside of the lines we drew ourselves. 
and we weren't sorry about any of it, and some of us still aren't. For shame, indeed. As the petrified sailors asked Jonah in the storm, what have you done? Let's ask that question today of ourselves. What have we done? This question compels us to confront our actions in the past and maybe even cause us to feel some shame for some of the terrible things we've done or thought or said. But once asked, we can't keep avoiding accountability. We can't metaphorically throw ourselves into the ocean and hope our responsibility gets lifted from us. But we can allow that shame to instruct us to change in meaningful ways. So what might that look like for us in our day-to-day? Maybe it's coming to terms with your own worldviews and prejudice perceptions about others and realizing that these biases go against what scripture has been teaching us all along. Maybe it's reaching out and apologizing to someone you've treated unfairly or judged prematurely because they're different than you. Maybe it's even severing ties with people or organizations who continue to espouse racist, sexist, and other discriminatory practices and beliefs. And, you know, it will be hard. We've had hundreds of years of history of colonialism and systems of oppression, often established in the name of Jesus, that made us feel okay about hating the other. But the real Jesus, not the Jesus we use as a figurehead to further our unjust agendas, but the real Jesus calls us to do better. Because despite what we have done, what he has done is show us mercy and love us time and time and again, even all our shame. In fact, he assumed all that shame and guilt when he died on that cross, didn't he? And while we are unashamed of this gospel, we can listen to the shame that comes when we live in ways that are contrary to the message of that gospel. And once that shame is triggered, instead of countering it or burying it, we can learn what that shame we feel signals us to do and then go do it. Because that's what Christ would have done. Let's pray. God, what have you done? You made us and loved us so much that you gave up your own son for us and you taught us to love in similar ways. But what have we done? We have done more to spread fear and hatred than we have distributed messages of hope, mercy, and love. We have barricaded ourselves against anyone we declared as unrighteous and by doing so, cut off their access to you. Through the power of what you have done, forgive us, God, for what we have done. And teach us to not just know better, but to do better. To be the ones who go to the places we would rather see destroyed and remind them also that they are your beloved creation. Because we know better than anyone, everyone deserves a second chance. Even as we sit in our shame, thank you for loving us and guiding us safely to shore. In Jesus' name, amen.